Amen. Well, we've been singing about grace this morning and talking about grace over the last few weeks, and uh, it's much easier to be aware of God's grace when things are going well and you feel like you're winning at something in life or succeeding at something in life, but what about when you go through times of suffering and pain and loss and hardship and trials? What about God's grace then? And in fact, there are many who maybe wonder, how can God's grace be true when there's so much suffering in the world, and especially when it happens to you? So this morning, we're going to take a look into the scriptures to see what we can understand about this, and the Apostle Paul has a lot that he writes about it, as well as the other apostles, and I just want to remind you that the basic biblical definition of grace is undeserved blessing and favor from God that he grants to us. And when Paul began to truly realize what God's grace means, because he had grown up in a very strict religious teaching and was all about learning the laws and the rules and following them perfectly. And so we don't know this for sure, but probably his view of, of grace was not quite the same as obviously what we would think of it today. He was like, well, of course, God's gracious to me because I'm following him, I'm doing all the right things, so he's rewarding me for that. But remember, the biblical definition of grace is undeserved blessing and favor. We, don't, we haven't done anything to deserve it, and yet God in his love offers it. And that's an amazing thing about God that sets him apart. He's very gracious. So after Paul came to faith in Christ, he began to learn more about the true meaning of grace. And that God's grace is available not only when you feel like you're succeeding in life and things are doing well and it's easy to be aware of it, but when times of difficulty and suffering come. And so he writes about this in several places, but the first place we're going to look at today is in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verses 2 through 5. And so let's take a look at that together. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning of verse 2. The very first word that he begins his sentence with is grace. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. God's grace works again in times of success, but his grace is also available and works in time of suffering. And he works especially in the hearts of people who have gone through tough times and experienced his help, his strength in various ways. And then he wants to use us or them, those that have gone through those tough times, to help someone else who is going through a similar type of circumstance or a hardship so that we can bring encouragement to, to them or we can receive encouragement from others. I remember a long time ago, back when the attacks on the Twin Towers happened uh, there in uh, New York, and 
I remember after it happened, there were some people that were circulating around on social media basically saying, where was God in all this? In other words, like, why didn't God stop that? Why did all that tragedy happen? Where was God when the attacks on the Twin Towers happened? And I, I, I'll never forget a great answer I heard. God was there in the men and women, the firefighters who were running up the stairs while people were running down and fleeing. God was there in the presence of the hands that were helping people, that were ministering, that were bringing comfort and help in the midst of a tragedy. God was absolutely right there. And that's what God does. His grace is available for us in times of, of success, times of suffering, and he wants to work through us to help others when they're going through a difficult time. So again, God's grace is not just displayed in the success of life, but it's absolutely displayed and especially needed in the sufferings of life. God works through people. It's the way he chooses to do it. He works beyond us and around us, and he doesn't need us, but he wants us. And that's why he invites us to come to him. He doesn't force himself on us. He invites us to come to him, to experience his forgiveness, grace, redemption, and then he wants us to align ourselves with his spirit and his way of doing things because that's really the way life works best. It's the way he designed it. One of our uh, many statements that we have around here in our main statement, our mission statement, you heard it this morning when you first came in, we're all about loving and leading people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is the life changer. He is the one through his Holy Spirit that works in each of us. He knows us better than we know ourselves and we know each other. And so it's only Christ who could truly change us. So rather than us inviting you in or going out and saying, hey, be more like us, we're saying be more like Jesus. We're trying to be more like him. We're on this journey together and we're trying to set a good example. And hopefully we're setting a good example and you can follow us, but look at others. Look for those models where you see Christ working in the hearts and lives of people. So our approach, though, is to be loving because that's what God does. Again, grace is undeserved favor. That means we're going to love people even when they look different than us or act different than us or maybe they're even totally out of God's will and doing things that is totally against what the, what the Bible says we ought to do and be. Our approach to them is going to be, hey, we love you because God loved us when we were unlovely and when we were out of step with God and we experienced this grace. So we're going to reach out and we're going to love you. But we're not just going to love you to make you feel warm and fuzzy and leave you where you are because God has better things for your life. It's what we're learning and we want to share it with you. So we're going to love you, but we're also going to lead you as we're following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And we want you to come to know this Jesus who is real and true and we're all following him together. That's really our, our big vision statement and it falls right in line with the great commandment that Jesus gave to go into all the world and to make disciples. A disciple is a, is a lifelong learner, a student. And we're all becoming those students of Christ. But it's more than just learning about things. It's experiencing his Holy Spirit and his Spirit's work within us. So one of the many ministries that we offer here at Porterfield, along with the many that we do, one in particular that fits really well with what I'm talking about today in this passage in 2 Corinthians is our Stephen ministry. The mission statement for our Stephen ministry here at Porterfield is caring for people facing life's difficulties with the love and healing presence of Christ. 
And really, this is a perfect ministry that is an example of what we're trying to do as a church body to carry out what the scripture says of offering God's grace to people in times of suffering. People who uh, want to serve on Stephen ministry, they've had their hurts in life and their wounds and, and they have gone through training because they want to help others who are going through those difficult times and to be there for them. They want to show grace in a person's time of suffering because they've experienced it. And so again, we're seeing where we want to be a church that not just reads the scripture and says, yeah, that's really good, we ought to do that, and we don't do anything about it. You see, all the sermons that you listen to and all the teachings you hear, they really don't mean anything unless you put it into practice. And so we want to be a people who are attempting to do that. Again, we don't do it perfectly, but our desire is to want to put God's word into practice in our lives in such a way that honors him and helps people. So if you're interested in Stephen Ministry, later on this year, there's going to be classes that will be offered again. You can sign up to go through that training. And I just wanted to highlight that today as one of the many ministries that we have going on here because it fits so well with this whole idea of sharing God's grace in the midst of suffering in a very real and tangible way where we're being used of God's spirit. You know, thinking about it, Jesus displayed the power of God when He was healing people, and when he demonstrated his power over nature by calming the storm, walking on water, being able to heal people even when he was totally uh, a distance away from them, all of that, he was displaying God's grace and power in the successes, so to speak, of his life. But Jesus also displayed grace in the suffering of his own life. Jesus was put on trial for telling the truth. Literally, the reason he was put on trial before the religious leaders of the day is because he uh, just had the nerve to say that he was God in the flesh. And they just couldn't handle it. They're like, no, there's no man that could be God in the flesh. You're blaspheming. And so they had this trial, and he was falsely accused. People lied about him and all this kind of stuff. And it's the way that he knew this would happen because, again, it's part of our stubborn, rebellious human nature. And yet he wanted to show his grace was sufficient for that. His grace was greater than our sin. And so even as Jesus was being accused of what he truly said he was, the Son of God, and and yet they wanted to reject him and they wanted to put him to death, they wanted to get rid of him, he put up with that. He put up with being mocked. He put up with being spat upon, having his beard pulled and yanked out to where literally, I'm sure, the skin on his face was bleeding. He was struck in the face. This was before he ever took the lashings. He was whipped with a cat of nine tails that stripped the flesh on his back and blood began to flow out of his body and his back. He bore scars. He bore suffering of all of these things. One who was closest to him betrayed him. Then, if that weren't enough, crown of thorns was placed on his head and blood was flowing down from his scalp. And that's all before he was ever nailed to the cross. So Jesus absolutely understands what suffering is like at the most extreme level, emotionally, spiritually, physically, in every way. And then as he was nailed to the cross, here's how he displayed God's grace in the midst of suffering. Remember, grace is undeserved blessing and favor as he's hanging on the cross to all these people that have done this to him. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. And, you know, you could sit here today or you can listen to this today and think, well, if I would have been there, it wouldn't have been me. Oh, don't fool yourself. You would have been probably right there 
with a lot of them, getting caught up in the crowd, just like we see today in our cultures when a crowd forms and somebody starts something and everybody begins to join in and there's this mob mentality. Quite frankly, probably a lot of us would have been there with the crowd shouting, crucify him. But God was displaying grace to that crowd that day and to all of us, even to this very day, to people who reject him. He's saying, Father, forgive them. This is why I'm giving my life because I'm gonna show grace. I'm gonna show undeserved favor. I wanna do something for them that they can't do for themselves, even if they don't understand it. And so Jesus displayed grace in suffering, and then, here's the wonderful news, three days later, he rose up bodily out of that tomb, walked out, and he conquered death, something that none of us could do. And he continues to extend that grace to us to say, I want you to believe in me. I want to show you that my grace is there for you, not only in the times of success, but my grace is there for you in your times of suffering. I've overcome all of that, but if you're going through a time of suffering right now, the door is open, my arms are open, I want you to come to me. My grace is available for you in your time of suffering. And in fact, that's what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter four, verses 14 through 16. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize or sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted or tested, in other words, in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of... Oh, good, you're listening. <laughs> Let's approach God's throne of grace. When times are good, when times are bad and terrible and you're suffering, let us approach God's throne of grace. How? With confidence. Because we know. We know there is one who created us, who became one of us, who suffered like we do and died, but then he conquered death and he offers a hope beyond death. And in the midst of suffering and in the midst of your joys, his grace is there through all of it and for all of it and all of us. So you can have confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. How awesome is that? So we need to really think about that. Don't just read it and, and go on. You really need to sit and park on that for a minute. And this is difficult for us to sometimes understand, but it's true. One of the ways that God uses to help us have a deeper understanding of his grace is through suffering. I mean, I wish I could tell you it weren't so. <laughs> I wish I could tell you that God makes it easy for us and that he never wants you to have a hard time in your life. But the honest truth is, without suffering in some way, we're never really gonna have a deeper understanding of what it all means. And so God, as weird as it sounds, in his love and in his grace, he allows us to experience suffering, not because he doesn't like us, not because he hates us, but actually because he loves us and he's trying to help us understand that his grace is even greater than our suffering and greater than all we don't understand, and he simply at times just wants us to trust him with all that we don't understand, and he will sustain us. 
In fact, this also is what the Apostle Paul writes about that he experienced after he got out of his religiosity and began to truly walk with Christ and understand what a spiritual life change happens through faith in Christ because of what Jesus did for him, not what he did for God. And you and I today need to realize that this is all about what Jesus did for you. You, you, you. I'm being rude and I'm going to point to everybody because I want you to feel it. Jesus did it for you and he did it for me. It's not what we do for God. That's what grace is. And so the Apostle Paul was beginning to learn and so at a deeper level he had to understand this so he had to go through some suffering to really get it that okay God this is not about me and everything I'm doing for you. This is about what you do for me but you want me to respond to it and you want me to rest in it. And so he writes about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 7. And just to give you a little backdrop on it, when the Apostle Paul is writing this, he's talking about all the things that qualify him as a true apostle of Jesus because there were those that doubted him. They were like, yeah, well, Paul, you used to be in that uh, real strict pharisaical law thing. How can we know that you're really an apostle? Because, you know, we've done this, we've done that. There was that spiritual rivalry going on, just like it does today, because it's part of the human nature. But the Apostle Paul was defending himself, trying to say, here's all that I've been through. And then, in fact, right before he writes what we're going to look at here, he even says, you know, God even did something in me and through me. He gave me these amazing revelations. I was caught up into heaven, and I saw all of these things. And it was amazing, but I'm not going to boast about those things. And as he's talking about that, then he writes this in verse 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from becoming conceited. Now this sounds kind of weird, but... The Apostle Paul was explaining things that he was understanding about God and how God is greater than Satan, absolutely. But he was also acknowledging that Satan was the one that was bringing this ailment, this affliction into his life. And he called it a messenger of Satan. Jesus said, talking about Satan, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan wants to damage your life He wants to deceive you. He finds great joy. This is how twisted Satan is. He finds great joy in messing up relationships, especially a relationship with God. Because he hates God. He knows he can't beat God. So any of you that truly are parents who love your children get it, that if somebody does something to you, well, you can deal with it. But man, if somebody does something to your kid, it just, ah. And so Satan knows this. And so since Satan knows he can't, beat God, he gets at us, God's kids. And he'll do anything he can to deceive us and to twist us and to break the relationship between us and God. That's why he's constantly doing things in the world and in the culture that's contrary to what God wants us to do and how God designed us to live because he takes great delight in it and he's so twisted that we will even find enjoyment for a while in doing those things. There is pleasure in sin for a season, but in the end, it's not so good. There's a fruit that comes out of it that's rotten. There's a fruit that comes out of it that leaves us disappointed and lacking and wanting more. This is how Satan works. And Paul began to understand that. And so he said, "This we don't know. We can only speculate what this thorn in the flesh, but I love that word picture. 
Because have you, have you ever gotten a splinter in your finger or your hand, or have you ever stepped on a thorn or had something sticking in your skin? It's like it, it doesn't totally incapacitate you, but it's just constantly annoying. It's like, get that thing out of there. Well, whatever this ailment was that the Apostle Paul was dealing with it, he recognized that God was sovereign, and Satan was the one that was bringing this thorn in the flesh, this ailment, this affliction again. And when it says in the flesh, maybe it was physically in his body, but sometimes when it talks about the things of the flesh, it's talking about the things in the world. So again, we're not even sure exactly what this affliction was, but it really was an annoyance to Paul, and, and it hurt him, and, and it bothered him, and it just constantly was there. But Paul understood God's sovereign over Satan, so God was allowing Satan to do this, but God had a purpose even in that, in the suffering. And it was so that Paul wouldn't become conceited and think he was all that. So now look at what Paul says. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this. It doesn't mean that he only prayed three times. I'm sure that there were different times throughout the day he would pray to God about it and say, Lord, I'm struggling today. Please give me, give me help, give me strength. But he was just defining here that there were three different times where it's like he couldn't take it anymore and just pleaded with God, please, God, take this away. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, and this is one of the most famous passages, my what? Yeah. My grace. My grace is sufficient for you. This is the big message that God is saying, that even in your times of suffering, grace is there, sure, when you're a winner and when things are going well. But when you're suffering, and you maybe have doubts and say, Lord, am I going through this, you know, because you don't love me anymore? He's saying, oh, no, 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 that's not it at all. My grace is sufficient for you, even now in your suffering, just like it is when you're successful and things are going well. I love you. I want to bless you. Trust me. I will help you get through this. My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And again, what that is saying is that when we are going through something that we're really struggling with and we don't really have the strength to get through it, God steps in and says, okay, now I can, I can show my strength in you. And I'm going to help you get through this because you, you never thought you could get through it. Just curious, how many of you here have gone through something like that where you're like, you endured something that you had no idea you'd have the strength to go through? through? Could I see some hands? Awesome. Look, I mean, look around. Look at that. This is what God does. He glorifies himself because he's saying, I know you can't get through it, but now you're going to experience my strength because I'm giving you the grace to endure it and to get through it. And that's what the Apostle Paul said. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with my weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. I don't know, but maybe now we're starting to get a little bit of insight of what those thorns in the flesh were that Paul was putting up with. It wasn't just physical stuff. It was persecutions. It was all this stuff. I'll be content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. How in the world? That doesn't make sense. I got to thinking about this. And uh, again, I'm, I, humor me a little bit today or be patient with me. I'm getting older, and there's a lot of movies that come out now that are current, but I want to talk about a couple of classic movies today. One of them is the old movie Rocky. How many of you saw that? Not Rocky 27, you know, <laughs> but like Rocky 1, the original one. And the thing that was so inspiring about that story, I mean, I remember seeing it in the movie theaters uh, back in the day. 
And you walked out of that movie, and even though Rocky lost the fight, he was a winner, right? I mean, because what was so inspiring about Rocky was is that he was in the ring with Apollo Creed, the champion, and the heart of Rocky. I mean, he just kept getting pounded. I mean, he threw some blows, too, and he put a hurting on. But the thing is, he got knocked down. Oh, I, I know. And there's a song. He got back up again. But <laughs> that's an old song, too. But seriously... That's what was so inspiring when you watch the movie. And even in the movie, you know, when people were watching the fight, people that were kind of at first maybe against Rocky, the crowd, Rocky won the crowd over. They were inspired because he just would not quit. He had the heart. He just kept getting up and taking a pound and then getting up again and again and coming back for more. He showed endurance. This is what the Apostle Paul is talking about. He's like, man, I face all of the blows of this life. And people may think I'm a loser, but I'm a winner because Christ has given me strength to face it all and I'm going to endure. And that's what begins to inspire people. So I hope today that God's Spirit is using this message to encourage you. Because I'm going to say something that might be taken out of context, but I'll tell you this, Jesus is for losers. Jesus is for losers. He's for winners too. <laughs> He's for winners too. And I know some will, um, they'll twist those words that I just said. But it, whether you win or you lose in life, Jesus, his grace is there for you and he wants to strengthen you in your losses and he wants to help you through because ultimately we know that we all will be winners in Christ Jesus, amen? That's why the scripture says we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. He gives us strength. Some of our most effective ways of witnessing for Jesus is just being able to tell the story of what Jesus has helped us get through in life and then talking to others about how we got that strength and who Jesus is and why we got that faith. So as we move on into this month, we're gonna talk about the importance of witnessing for Christ because we are all witnesses. If you're a believer in Jesus, you are a witness, whether you believe it or not, whether you wanna be or not. The question is, are you a good one or a not so good one? And I'm not talking about a good person, I'm just talking about being a good witness. Because, you know, there are people that witness things and then they never talk about it and nobody ever knows. And though they're a witness, they're a silent witness. God wants you and I to not be a silent witness, but to talk about what we have experienced, what we're learning, and what we're currently going through. So we'll be sharing more about that, of how we can be an effective witness in the world in a way that's not scary and intimidating for you. It's simply being able to have the conversation. And one of the most effective ways that you and I can be a witness for Christ in the world is to talk about our wounds. So I call it the witness of our wounds. And that's what the Apostle Paul is describing here, and we're going to see a couple of other passages where he talks about it. But here again, thinking about that whole thing of the witness of our wounds and the scars of life, I thought about another old movie that came back. Uh, back in the day, it was Jaws. So we're talking about some really old classics. How many of you have seen Jaws? You know, and again, there's 20,000 remakes of Jaws and Sharknado and you know, all these kind of crazy things. But the original Jaws movie, it really is a classic. And one of the scenes in that movie that's a classic scene, it's literally called the scar scene. You can look it up on YouTube. I actually did that. I got to thinking about it. I'm like, I'm sure it's on YouTube. And sure enough, I typed in Jaws scar scene. There it come up. <laughs> it's just a few minutes long. But... If you remember, just to refresh your memory just a little bit, 
there are three men that are on a boat and they're out trying to get the great white shark. They're trying to track where the shark is. Obviously, they want to get the shark and kill it. So there's Captain Quinn, the captain of the boat, the shark hunter, the grizzly old guy. Then there's the oceanographer. I believe his last name in the, in the, the setting was Hooper. I think it was Richard Dreyfus that played the part of him. But anyway, so there was Hooper, the oceanographer. And then there was uh, uh, Chief Brody, and um, he was the, the police chief uh, there at the Amityville, I believe it was in the movie. So too, too much information, but I want to set the scene for you. They're on this boat, and they're down in the cabin of the boat, and they're waiting uh, because they've, they've done their thing. They're waiting to see if they can find this shark. And they begin to talk. And these three guys are so different. Their personalities are different. There's all this interaction between them on the boat because their occupations are different. Their views of life are different. And there's just this tension between them all the time. And yet, in the cabin of this boat, as they're sitting there around the table and they're talking, they begin to talk about their injuries. Captain Quinn mentioned something about Chief Brody's injury. And then Quinn goes, ah, you want to see something? And he pulls one of his teeth out. And, and he just kind of grins, and there's a gap there. And he just chuckles, and he says, ah. And he tells how he, how he got that injury, and he sticks it back in. And then Hooper, the oceanographer guy that's kind of more of the nerdy guy, he's like, I got you beat. I got you beat. Pulls up his sleeve, and there's a big old long scar, and he goes, moray eel. And, so, and what's funny about it is they start trading their stories. They start showing each other their scars, even to the point where this one point, Hooper scoots over next to Quinn, and again, these guys couldn't be more different. He sticks his leg up on the table, pulls his pants leg up, and he starts pointing at his scar on his leg. Quinn scoots over next to him, pats him on the scar. I mean, it's just, it really is kind of silly. And I know it's a guy thing. So, but the point is this. You're like, Mark, what in the world does this have to do with your sermon? I'm getting there. I'm getting there. The point of the story is, though they were all so different in their personalities and everything was awkward, when they started talking about their injuries and they started showing their scars and they started talking about what they had been through in life, it brought them together. There was a commonality. Why? Because all of us go through stuff. All of us experience brokenness, disappointment, hurt. We've all got our scars, whether it's spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, whatever. And so what I'm saying is God allows these things so that we can let others know you're not alone. I'm not alone. And so my question to you is, what scars do you bear right now in your life? Emotionally, spiritually, relationally, physically, what is it? Because God can use those scars to give evidence of his grace and how he has helped you to get through to this point. And those scars and those wounds can be an evidence of the grace of Christ and can become a talking point to others. The Apostle Paul says this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. He's writing this again to Timothy, a young man, and he's reminding him, he says, you know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions and sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? You see, Paul made his wounds part of his witness. He let people know, as a follower of Jesus, it's not easy, but it's worth it. And here's what I've been through, but I want you to know it's absolutely worth every single thing I've been through. Now, when he mentions Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, those were geographical locations. When you read the book of Acts, you can actually read the story of what happened to the Apostle Paul on his first missionary journeys in those towns. 
So the book of Acts is actually a historical account of what happened. And then he says, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. There's his testimony. So just to give you a little background on that, because again, the Bible does back itself up. The Apostle Paul, in, an, in his letter to the 2 Corinthians, we're looking at that today somewhat, in chapter 11, verses 24 through 33, he details a few of those things that happened in these journeys and in some of these towns. So here's what he says in verse 24 of 2 Corinthians 11, five times I received 39 lashes from the Jews. Now think about that. With whips, five different times he was lashed 39 times. Now again, not all at the same time, but throughout these journeys as he was being persecuted and they were telling him, Paul, stop talking about this Jesus and come back to the faith that you grew up in and all those kind of things. They were lashing him. They wanted to silence him. Three times I was beaten with rods, he says in verse 25. Once I was pelted with stones to death. And we read about that in Acts chapter 14 when he was in the city of Lystra. People opposed him and they literally threw rocks at him until he went unconscious and they left him for dead. And yet God spared his life and he got out of that. And uh, again, you can read about it in the scriptures. Three times I was shipwrecked and spent a night and a day in the open sea. Funny how I talked about Jaws and there's a thing where Paul spent a night in the open sea because of the shipwrecks and the things that he went through. Now, look at, now after Paul says this to Timothy about what happened to him, now look at what he says next in verse 12, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He's just saying, I'm telling you right up front, it's going to happen. Now, why? Why would that happen? Here's why. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. It happens in every culture. We see it today. Things that have helped cultures be healthy, even with all of our fallen state that we're in, things that have been norms for society for thousands of years and thousands of years in our culture today are being upended. There's being redefinitions of what sexuality means, and uh, they're redefining all that, and marriage, and all those things. And I know people get antsy when I mention this stuff, but I'm telling you, this is the real stuff of what the Scripture says. Because we're really getting in crazy times when you can be persecuted or fired for your job because you use the wrong pronoun about somebody. This is how crazy it has gotten. And this is really what the Bible warns us of, saying... Stay true to your faith. Stay true to what you know is true because culture is going to continually twist and turn and swerve and evildoers will just get worse and worse and worse. Have a nice day. <laughs> Thanks for coming to Porterfield. But I'm going to speak the truth. I'm going to speak it in love because we see it in the news every day and we're living through it. And so you need this encouragement from the scripture because the Bible tells us, Christ tells us, Evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. And literally, there are things happening, not only in America today, but around the world that is absolutely a deception. Because somehow in our spirits, deep inside, we know it's like, this really doesn't seem right, but boy, I don't want to say anything about it because I could get in trouble and people call me a bigot and all this kind of stuff. God wants you to know, stay true. You can be loving and stay true to the scriptures. 
This is what, because you need that foundation in your life. Don't be deceived. Guard your heart. And this is what the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of. This is why I'm speaking to you today in Christ. Because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So Paul says what it really comes down to is it's not following a bunch of rules and regulations and not having a heart change inside. It's about truly experiencing new life in Christ. And so this is why he says this in Galatians chapter 6, verses 15 through 18. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule to the Israel of God, the rule of just being new in Christ. Let him make the change in you. Cooperate with that change. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. Paul's showing his scars. He's saying, I literally in my body have scars in my flesh because of this faith in Jesus. And I've encountered a culture that has called me everything and wanted to silence me and shut me up. They tried to kill me. They've tortured me. They've done everything they could. And I'm still here. I got back up. And in the same way that if that movie Rocky and how Rocky endured and got up after pounding and pounding, if that inspired you, let this inspire you more. Paul is saying, don't give up. Just God's going to give you strength. His grace is sufficient because I experienced it. And in fact, that's what he says here in verse 18. The what? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. So in closing this morning, I hear there's a sporting event tonight. Some kind of big, big game going on. And, you know, everybody's looking forward to that sporting event. Sports are all over the world. It's all kind of sports. But here's the fact about sports. It's great competition. All that stuff's wonderful. I have nothing against sports. I love it. Enjoy it. But the thing about sports is, after tonight's game is over, there's going to be a winner and there's going to be a loser. There's going to be winners and losers, not only on the field, but people that have gambled on it, people that have done all kind of stuff. There's going to be a bunch of winners and losers when the day is done tonight. I just want you to remember that God's grace is there for you, whether you're a winner or a loser. And I really appreciate it when sports figures use the platform they're given as a winner to talk about faith in Jesus and to honor God. That's great. Honestly, I, I think that's great. And this might sound weird, but that does not lend credibility to the Christian faith. You know, sometimes we as Christians are like, we want the Christians to win so our, our message will be credible. No. If, we get, if Jesus has to rely on a sports winning a game to give credibility to him, that's pretty pathetic. Jesus is for losers. <laughs> He's for winners, but he's showing that I'm a winner no matter what. You can be a loser and you can still win with me. And so I just wonder, one of these days, I'd love for it if they interviewed somebody that lost the game and they said, you know what? I want to give all praise to Jesus because I'm glad I was here playing the game and I'm glad I had a good time and I gave my best effort. But you know what? God's still on the throne and praise God. Because you don't think that would raise some eyebrows and get attention? Everybody expects to hear the praise in the good times, but what about when you're losing? So remember that 
And there is one sports guy, there's more than one, but there's one that I want to close with today because it leads up to what we're doing this Friday night. His name's Tim Tebow. And this is not to glorify Tim Tebow, this is to glorify Christ. But Tim Tebow is a guy who rose on the sports scene when he was in college, University of Florida. I remember years ago seeing it on TV, noticing that his eye black tape had John 3.16. Any of you remember that? Playing in a national championship game. I'm like, that's pretty cool. You know, and they won the championship, and he used it as a platform to glorify God, which is awesome. That's great, you know. We all applauded it. But then when he went to the NFL, things didn't quite go the way he had hoped. His dream of being an NFL quarterback, quite honestly, no matter what you say, he was kind of given a raw deal. Uh, he had shown that he was a winner, but some criticized him because his throwing mechanics weren't quite right and all this. All Tim Tebow ever showed that on a field he was a winner, but they wanted to find ways to criticize him, and honestly, I think a lot of it had to do because he took a strong stand for his faith in Jesus. He was unashamed. He wasn't doing it for attention. He was to give glory to Christ. Well, when Tim's dream was shattered and he was rejected from the NFL, he chose a different path than what others we see that are rejected from the NFL. There are many who get rejected from the NFL and they start posting stuff on social media and they want to find movements that follow them and, oh, I was given a raw deal and all this stuff. I'm not going to mention any names. But I want to show you the difference of how God's grace is sufficient even in suffering. You might say, well, Tim Tebow didn't suffer. Well, suffering just means a bad, unpleasant experience. Some of it's extreme, like physical pain, but some of it's just a bad experience. So he suffered in a dream being shattered. But Tim said, you know what? God's gracious in my losing. My dreams on the NFL field weren't fulfilled, but I'm not going to let that keep me down. I'm going to find other ways that God's going to use me, and I want to honor him with my life. And so he started the Tim Tebow Foundation. In fact, I'm, I want to read this um, to close out the message today. It's in his own words, and it's what he says about this. He doesn't mention the NFL, but you, you'll see he's talking about God's grace here. So these are Tim Tebow's own words. You can find it on his website. It's the Tebow Foundation. My early years were spent in the Philippines where my parents served as missionaries. My experiences there and the training from my parents who instilled in me the importance of God's word, the salvation that we have in his son Jesus, and the responsibility that we have to give back to others gave me a desire to make a difference in people's lives. At the age of 15, I visited a remote village that had never seen visitors before. There I met a boy named Sherwin who would impact my life more than anyone I have ever met. Think about that. Think about all the coaches that Tim Tebow has had and people that have impacted his life. And yet there's this young individual named Sherwin. Sherwin was born with his feet on backwards and was viewed as cursed in his village. When the people saw me hold Sherwin, they realized that the good news of Jesus Christ applies to everyone. I love that. Sometimes all it takes is for us as a follower of Christ to reach out in love and to say God loves you no matter how you came into this world, you're loved and God has a better plan for your life. It was then that my passion grew to help people. That's why in 2010, I was so excited to create the Tim Tebow Foundation with a mission to bring faith, hope, and love to those needing a brighter day in their darkest hour of need. 
The Christian faith is about loving Jesus and loving people. And that is what we're trying to do with the foundation and all of our outreaches, whether it's spending a weekend encouraging a child with a life-threatening illness or helping a family adopt an international child with special needs, crowning kings and queens of the prom, which is night to shine, which is coming up here, Porterfield Friday. Those are my words, not Tim's. Anyway, <laughs> or by showing God's love through our four other outreaches, our goal is to let people know that God loves them and that they are worth it. So I wanted to end with that because, again, one of the ways that we can be a sermon illustration of what I'm talking about today is to host an event like we're going to do this Friday right here throughout this building. The Tebow Foundation, in cooperation with them, we're going to do the Night to Shine. We've got uh, over 150 special guests who are coming, special needs. Their family's going to be coming here. We've got a bunch of volunteers. We're actually working this year in conjunction with St. Ambrose. The, the guests are going to go there to get hair and makeup done and shoes shined, and then they're going to get a limo ride from St. Ambrose over to here. There's going to be a red carpet. There's going to be paparazzi. We're going to be cheering them on. We're going to be celebrating them. Last year, there were many of us in tears. It was the first year we did it, and it was like 10 minutes into it, and we're all just, we're crying. And it wasn't, it, it wasn't a sad, it was a joyous thing because we had so many people saying things like, nobody's ever done anything like this for me before. So this is an awesome way to show the grace of God, even in times of suffering and difficulty and when life isn't maybe the way you want it. His grace is sufficient. And he'll use us and others to help those in need and then God will use others to help us in our time of need. So please be praying for this event Another thing I love about the Tebow Foundation is it is Tim Tebow's requirement that the gospel is shared at these events. So I love it. So if people say, oh yeah, you people at church, you're just bringing them in because you want to just, you know, trap them and tell them about Jesus. Like, Tim Tebow said so. <laughs> That's terrible. We should say Jesus said so, but I'm just saying, I'm just saying. And what it, what it has done is even at that awkwardness with people in the community that are coming, Honestly, it, it, it gives us validity to say, you know what, if you're, going to, if you're going to volunteer as part of the Tebow Foundation, that's one of the rules. We're happy as a church to follow because we want to share the gospel, and we will and we do. But all I'm saying is, so that night the gospel is going to be shared in a simple and creative way, so I'd appreciate you praying for me and praying for everybody that as we do that. There's going to be a meal served, and oh my goodness, I know there's going to be a dance in the church. But what we're going to show is there's a better way of doing all these things that can lead to positive things in our life and not the way the world does this stuff that can bear bad fruit. So be praying that good fruit comes out of this. And in fact, today, before you leave, we're gonna ask you to, for those of you who can stay, stack chairs. Don't, don't move them, just stack them. We'll talk about that, but it's time to close. So thank you for being here today. Thank you for listening. And I just wanna wrap it up by saying again, if you're going through a really rough time in your life right now, you're not alone. Jesus is with you. We want to help you through that time as best we can. And we know we can't do it all, but we want to be just maybe one small part of God working through us in our individual ways. And so I hope you'll be open to that. And right now, if things are good for you, then look around for somebody that's struggling and share the joy with them and help them. Would you stand? Lord Jesus, as we close out our time together today here in this room, I thank you that your presence is with us. And if, Lord, I don't know the people's minds and hearts here, but you do. And if there's any that need to make a commitment to you afresh and anew, whether it's uh, to recommit their life to you or
whether it's just to say, I need somebody to pray with me. Lord, this is the place where that can happen for them because they're surrounded by others who have scars and wounds and we've all been there, but we want to share how you've helped us in ways that can help them. So today, as we sing this final song, just help us to respond in the ways that you want that would honor you. And not only just in this moment today, but throughout the rest of this day, tonight, and into this week, and especially on Friday, when we meet in this place that's been built for your glory, Lord, I pray that you will use this place for your glory Friday night. Um, thank you for your grace. Give us wisdom. If there's anything inappropriate that, that goes on, help us to recognize it, address it in a loving way. Um, and just, Lord, I pray that you would be honored through this event and literally not only just the people here at Porterfield, but our entire community, their hearts and lives would be touched by the power of your Holy Spirit, your grace and your salvation for it's all about you, Jesus, and what you've done for us in your name. Amen.